Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. This week is the beginning of the New York Film Festival, and one of the big premieres is Hamilton's America, which will premiere on PBS on October 21st, but is going to be have its big premiere on Saturday in the Walter Reed Theater. Uh, it's a lot of different things. It's a look at history, but it's also a behind-the-scenes look at Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, which was, I mean, smash hit doesn't really quite capture the cultural phenomena uh, that was uh, Hamilton. And our guest today is Alex Horwitz, who uh, was filming alongside the musical for four years. And it's his film on Saturday night that's premiering. So Alex, welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks, Chris. So let's start there. Um, I don't think, we both went to Wesleyan. Uh, Lynn isn't sneaking up on anybody. He's already got a Tony, uh, you know, when we were in college, people are already obsessing about his In the Heights. I mean, this is a, someone that's been identified as a talent for a very, very long time. And I, I think the idea that Hamilton was going to be a success is probably seems like a decent bet as well. But somewhere along the way, this thing just became like not, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. What, because you were following it along with it, what was that moment that you kind of realized that this wasn't just going to be a, a smash Broadway hit? It's difficult or impossible to pick one. It was this, it, it was this slow building avalanche. It wasn't just a sudden drop. Um, it, but, you know, I think if I were to pick one moment where I went, oh, wow, I think it was probably the Rolling Stone cover. Even the Pulitzer was, there's so much buildup before the Pulitzer, Pulitzers are announced that we're all going, oh yeah, it's probably, it's, yeah, it's good to get the Pulitzer, right, right. But the Rolling Stone cover just kind of happened. And uh, that's, that's the one, when people ask me that question, that's the moment I point to. Because that's the moment where it's like, someone on the Rolling Stone cover is identifiable to America. It not is. just Not just the people that are like reading the New York Times or keeping track of Broadway. Yeah, and it also signals, it also happened almost the same exact week as, as Time, where Lynn was one of Time's People of the Year. So he had one of several covers was his. And, but Rolling Stone and Time to some extent um, speak to this grand truth of, of what Lynn achieved with Hamilton, which is that he changed not just musical theater, but um, he changed uh, educational curriculum in America uh, because every high school and middle school teacher now has absorbed this into their social studies programs. He changed political discourse in America because we had a major party's candidate quoting the musical at the end, like as the grand finale of her convention speech. Um, and he changed not just musical theater, as I said, but popular music in America. Um, that's what got him on Rolling Stone. For the first time in many, many decades, uh, a Broadway album cast recording is top of the, top of the charts. I mean, that's, it's not unprecedented, but it has been a very long time. It, we, Alex wrote an article for IndieWire earlier this week, which I, uh, I'll link to in the piece, and it really, it, it's really a wonderful uh, piece about the process that you went through in making this film. And one thing that you brought up was that you were kind of drawn to this project. I mean, you kind of keep up track of what he's doing or following what he's doing, but you, there was something about this project pretty early on that you were drawn to, and I think it speaks to the history side, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and first of all, before I go on, I thank you for your... Um, inviting me to make that article happen. I was very appreciative. At IndieWire, we let people write for free for us anytime they want, whenever they have interesting projects. Martin Scorsese, hopefully you're listening. <laughs> um, no, but it was really nice to have just one spot where I could just be like, eh, here it is, here's an info dump, here's my case for the movie I made. Um, 
we don't always get that, so thank you. Um, but yes, as you said, my interest was in history seen through the eyes of an artist. At the time I started filming, Lynn had just begun to think about it as a musical. Originally, it was maybe going to be a concept album. He just wasn't sure what he was what he was writing exactly, but it was a series of songs about Alexander Hamilton and his uh, contemporaries uh, set to hip hop. It became a musical, but because at the time it was it, even when you were just first started getting involved, it was a concept album, right? That's what he first said. Yeah, I, I'm, by the time I rolled cameras, Jeffrey Seller, the producer of Hamilton was on board, so they didn't really know what shape it was going to take, but they knew it, they were talking about an evening of theater, no longer just an album, they were pretty sure. But yes, by the time, when I first started asking Lynn about it, saying, hey, let me turn cameras on this, it was, concept album was the usual phrase he used. Um, and to your point, I, I, I thought Hamilton, uh, Hamilton's history, Hamilton's story, the man, not the show, was the A story from the beginning. I said, to Lynn, look, I don't know exactly what you're going to make yet, neither do you. Whatever it is, I just want this film to be about the history seen through your eyes. My point of reference always from the beginning was looking for Richard. That was my elevator pitch when I, when I ended up pitching the film. And it was, this is, this is looking for Hamilton. Um, it's about an artist and his colleagues grappling with history or, you know, with, with the words in in the case of Looking for Richard, Pacino mm -hmm. and Shakespeare. In the case of this, Lynn and Hamilton and all of Hamilton's writing um, and the work of the founders. And the film is this mixed media documentary, really. You've got these verite scenes where you're going out on these field trips learning about the history. You've got... Um, well, let's, let's stop there because I don't... Cause yeah, 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 so, so, sure. so, so in the midst of doing this, Lynn is still doing research and learning himself. Like, I'm mm -hmm. sure he read... I know he had read... Um, the big biography, mm -hmm. but so part of this is kind of piggybacking on him starting to research and go to places, right, right, and, and actually see some of the real sites and things like that. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he had read Ron Chernow's biography of Hamilton, and that was the reason he wanted to do this. That mm -hmm. was it. Uh, Lynn is always fond of saying that you know he he immediately Googled Alexander Hamilton hip hop musical because he figured, oh, surely it's been done. Obviously, this is a hip hop story, uh, and much to his surprise, he was first. Um, but when you watch it now, you go, "Oh yeah, of course, of course, it's a hip hop story." Um, but yeah, he w he was, as you said, researching. He was he um, he told me early on, "Oh, you know, you know the Morris Jamal Mansion, that old historic mansion in Upper Manhattan, where my dad sometimes throws family birthday parties." Mm -hmm. I said, "Yeah, yeah, I've been there with you. Yeah, that that was Aaron Burr's final home, and I've been writing some of this stuff in his bedroom." I was like, that's all I need to know. Next time you're going, I'm bringing a camera. Is that cool with you? And we were off and running. And that, one of the first things that, scenes I filmed was Lynn writing in Aaron Burr's bedroom. And it is um, absolutely one of the centerpieces of the film, of the finished film now. So much of this feels to me about, and even part of the, the cast and the diversity of the cast, but this kind of like looking at the past through some kind of, very unique filter, which I, I haven't quite figured out, but I, my guess is that that's kind of what you were trying to get at in your, in your doc, right? Yeah, I, well, I just took that example from, I, I follow the lead of Lynn. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what his show does. I think that filter that you're talking about is simply um, a present day filter, just looking at it like it wasn't dusty old history that happened a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Yes, they wore clothes, which to our eyes are funny, um, 
but they were talking about the same things, really, at the end of the day. Um, the world was very different back then. It was also exactly the same back then. And I think that what Lynn's show has done, and if I did my job as a documentarian well enough, what the documentary does is show that the conversations they were having, the fights they were having, um, the, the personal failures of their lives are very much the same as the ones we talk about today. Now, what about, you know, Lynn's using song Mm-hmm. And musical and 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 dance uh, to capture this. It's always a tricky thing using a different art form to capture what another art form is doing. So, mm-hmm. I'm wondering in terms of like thinking about what you could add. I mean, obviously we'll all see the film on Saturday night, but kind of going into this, what did you think you could kind of capture about this process? Or I mean, part of it is bringing it behind the scenes, but. What, what did you, and also as you started piecing it together, what did you think that you could do with documentary to kind of capture this art form? Um, well, you, you forgot all my musical numbers in the documentary where I sing and dance history. Come on. You still need people to come see this on Saturday. That's right, that's right. Oh, sorry. The short answer is the field trips. I told, I told Lynn, um, look, I can't do what you do in the Richard Rogers Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, this documentary is just a shadow, a companion piece to the greater work, which is Hamilton. But, um, but we can do things in it that even the experience of the musical cannot give you. We can take Lynn to Hamilton's actual home. Mm-hmm. We can go out to Valley Forge, the scene of the actual battles, rather than just see an amazing company of dancers enact a battle. Um, we can hear from presidents, and we were fortunate enough to get a lot of yeses from our interview subjects. So we can add all these textures that you don't, usually get in a fly on the wall or behind the scenes documentary about a work of art. So that's, as you said, what I was always trying to look for. What are those additive things? What are the things that just backstage access or capturing uh, you know, interviews of, of the company of the show, what are those things we can add that you don't usually get? Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're all in the film, I think. So starting, you started in like 2012, right? Uh, I was officially rolling in 2013. By the oh. time we, by the time we air in October, October 21st, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be just over three years exactly. So, was this just ultimately you and a camera starting off just in the beginning? I mean, yeah. it eventually became a bigger production, but is it you just following along? Yeah, at first it certainly was. Um, the first few days of this film were a crew consisting of Bryant Fisher, uh, camera operator, director of photography, friend of mine, who stayed on for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was him and me, and sometimes we'd have a sound mixer, but sometimes I was doing sound on, if it's not too inside baseball to tell everyone you borrowed my Zoom recorder, on the very Zoom recorder that's recording this, this interview. Um, and it would be Bryant, me, the Zoom, and, uh, and a camera, and Lynn. And uh, that was the first few days. Some of those scenes are still in the, in the final film. Some of that stuff didn't make it. But then, as you said, it sort of slowly built. And as I was developing it, as Radical Media partnered with me to develop it, and then certainly as PBS became involved, shoots were getting bigger, a little more ambitious, more cameras, more crew. Um, but we were never a heavy operation. And at what point, because I think this is interesting for a lot of documentary filmmakers, a lot of, I think a lot of people have similar situations to you where they're following something and they realize they have a story. Right. Um, and yet, they're not Alex Gibney. They're not like, you know, this is my next movie. This is what we're doing. Right. And so, at what point are you looking at this and seeing, you know what, this could be something bigger? Um, 
do I need to, you know, event, I mean, you were speaking very positively about Radical Media and PBS who eventually came on board, and I believe the producer of Hamilton came on board mm -hmm. as well. But initially, it's, it's Alice Horowitz following around, mm -hmm. following this around. At what point do you kind of switch over and are like, okay, I need to pull back and maybe tap into other resources? Or was there ever an instinct of like, you know what, I'm just going to keep going? Yeah. Uh, well, luckily, Lynn is such a known and beloved entity, even before Hamilton. He'd, I mean, he'd had great success within the Heights, and he's mm -hmm. uh, known to the sorts of parties I was talking to. Um, so that was enough to get people at the table, get people interested. Um, we did pitch, you know, I, it was always going to be with Radical, but who the partners were going to be, the PBSs of the world, w was up for grabs. And we did talk to a lot of people. Um, Lynn's involvement gets folks interested. But you're right, they sort of, this was before Hamilton had hit. They wanted to know, what's this going to be? Where's this going to go? Um, it, it was suggested to me early on, well, look, you know, what if the show doesn't land? What if people don't like Founding Fathers rapping? You know, wh what's going to come of this then? What's your story? What's your hook? What's your angle? Is it about the sophomore effort of Lynn? Is it about, you know, will this be a success or not? And I just kept saying from the beginning, it doesn't matter. The story is Alexander Hamilton's biography. Because nothing that could happen to Lynn or this show will be as dramatic as that life was. So that's the A story. So you could always anchor it with that. Always anchor with that. I said, that's there. That's the history. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily sell tickets or get distribution deals because it is looked at as this old distant history. But Lynn was always going to be there in whatever form the musical took. Lynn was going to be contemporary. Lynn was going to be a fun presence. Um, Lynn was going to be... A guide into the... A guide. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So wherever the Hamilton musical journey took us, Lynn would be there as a guide for the Hamilton the Man story. So I knew that, as you said, the story was evolving and becoming bigger and there were a lot of unknowns. I just anchored it with what I did know, and the rest I would adapt to. And I think what happened was, uh, this has had an air date for a while, right? Mm. So you've been targeted towards October, and then I think most of the cast left in like July, is that right? The original cast left in uh, July? It, it didn't change all on one date, but yeah, let's, let's say July was where it first started to shift. Yeah. So how much of this, and then meanwhile, kind of winter, this thing was a supernova. Mm, so it's like yeah. you got winter supernova, Cast is leaving in the summer, you're airing in fall. Right. How much of, now obviously post is always, is always tricky, but how much of this in terms of piecing this together is something where you're starting to see the structure of this while you're still shooting? Right. So that there's a, so you're not starting from scratch? Right. Because right. you obviously wanted to film, I'm assuming you filmed, you, you got a lot of good stuff as, as the sure. show kind of came to sure. a close. So you're still in production, um, but you obviously have to kind of start post. Um, how much of that is, is something, uh, you have an editing background, how much of this is something where you're kind of figuring out the structure and beating it out uh, before, before you start? Um, it was, I would say, well planned in advance, but then we just changed the plan, as you ine inevitably have to. Um, but again, I think that uh, the life of Alexander Hamilton was always going to be that chronological backbone of the film. Mm -hmm. We would tack everything else onto that. As, as it came up. So um, we knew, yes, as you said, you know, we knew when the cast was going to be changing. At a certain point, you know, the show was a huge hit at the public theater. Uh, I don't want to get my years wrong, but I think we're talking uh, the spring of 2015 is yeah. when it hits at, at the public and it's a big deal. They can go to Broadway very quickly, and the Broadway season is not the calendar year. So if they had gone very quickly, they actually would have been eligible for Tony's right away. Uh, they decided to wait a little bit. I'm actually grateful as a filmmaker that they did because we could sort of 
we had a more leisurely calendar to plan with. Um, we would have adjusted. We would have gotten the Tonys that year if, we, if we'd had to. But we did know, okay, they're opening on Broadway this year. First round of contracts for the show are about a year. We know that the cast isn't going to be escaping anywhere. We know the Tonys are you know, that distant June. So we're pretty good. We can space it out here. That, that was useful. But as for the structure of the film itself, I still knew that you know we, we'd cover that those big sort of watershed moments in the life of the show, opening night, mm-hmm. when the zeitgeist sort of hits, uh, certainly when we get to Tony's. And as you'll see, they're, they're all in the film, and I, I use them. I sort of found the moments where those events parallel some big moment of history in Hamilton's life. I always knew that around the middle of our, our movie, if it's a two-act movie, like the show is a two-act show, we'd win the war, or they'd win the war. And then that's sort of, we open on Broadway, we're here. And, and I always knew that opening night was sort of going to coincide with American independence structurally. Um, I was right about most of those in my original map of, roadmap of, of the film. Um, but then we adjusted things. We didn't know that they were going to get invited to the White House uh, to perform for the Obamas. Well, that's, that's a major part of our film, but we just kind of rolled with that, you know. When you got those interviews, uh, like President Obama and President Bush, was... I, I saw the picture of, of Lynn and Obama. Did, did he interview them or did you interview them? Or is it a mix? It's a mix. Um, Lynn, uh, I, we interviewed, I want to get this right, I think roughly 32 people for the film. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the original Broadway principal cast. That's, Who you uh, know and have spent time with at this uh, right, point. Right, right, so right, it's right. just more about formalizing, right, getting them right. on, knowing what you making sure you got their story and, on. And some of them I had not known before. Mm-hmm. Hamilton, um, but some of them I'd known, like Christopher Jackson, I knew from the In the Heights years, I call him a friend, but some of them I met for the first time in Hamilton, and they were like, who's this guy doing this thing? Oh, he's a friend of Lynn's? Oh, okay. And that kind of warms him up a bit, and and then the field trips happen, and we're out in the trenches together, sometimes literally the trenches together at Valley Forge. Um, and uh, But I, was also, I wasn't just getting process, I was also getting them talking about the historical characters they embody. I was getting uh, elected officials, uh, past and, and present. Um, Stephen Sondheim's in the movie, so there were, like I said, I think about 32 is the number. I did all the interviews except for three that Lynn conducted. We have him do, I, I, I call them the pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. Um, we have him interviewing somebody on, on each of the three sort of pillars of the story. Mm-hmm. He interviews Obama, mm-hmm. although I interviewed George W. Bush. Um, Lynn interviews Nas, so there's you your hip hop pillar. You got the fuzzy end of that lollipop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, right. Um, is a lovely <laughs> hang. He's actually a lovely hang. Really, is. I'm sure he is. Um, and uh, so Lynn interviews Nas. That's the hip hop angle. And then mm-hmm. he interviews uh, Sondheim and John Weidman in a twofer interview. So that's the musical theater interview. Mm-hmm. The rest I did. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, Alex, what do we expect on Saturday? What's going on? Is there, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Are we allowed? Am I allowed to say who's going to be there Saturday night? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Saturday night at the premiere of Hamilton's America at the New York Film Festival. Um, I will be there. Mm-hmm. Lynn will be there. Ron Chernow, the biographer, will be there. And uh, Renee Elise Goldsbury of the original Broadway cast will be there. So we are the panel on Saturday. We have a second screening on s- on Sunday, October 2nd. Uh, I will be there for that one. And Christopher Jackson, who plays George Washington. And Joanne Freeman, who is the other noted Hamilton scholar, who is uh, a wonderful interview subject in the film. And then in three weeks, you're on PBS. Yes. Yeah, oh, and then, and then uh, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, we're, yeah. 
the New York Film Festival is actually adding two more screenings um, okay. of our film. We were apparently the first movie to sell out, I think. So they're adding two screenings. Tell the people that couldn't get tickets to the music. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we gotta we gotta give them something. I'm I'm a consolation prize. I can live with that. Uh, so that'll be October fifteenth and sixteenth. Uh, time to be determined, I think, by the film festival. But keep checking the website. And we premiere on PBS on October twenty first. Uh, Re-earrings after that will be up to your local PBS member station. All right. Awesome. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Chris. Part of the New York Film Festival, in addition to all the great premieres, is also the revivals and retrospectives. Uh, this year, after the, the great director uh, Jacques Ravit died, early shorts of his were found, and they're playing this year at the festival. To talk about those, I have Dennis Lim here. He's the head of programming for the Film Society at Lincoln Center. Uh, Dennis, what is what was the story about finding these shorts? Uh, well, the shorts were found uh, by Rivette's widow, Veronique, um, and the announcement um, that they had been discovered and were restored was made just a few months after his death. They were restored by the Cinémathèque uh, Française in Paris. Um, and as soon as we heard about them, you know, we, we decided that we, we had to show them really as part of the New York Film Festival. Um, Rivette is, for for us, um, you know, for and I would say especially for me, uh, one of the most important filmmakers um, of all time. Uh, he's somebody who's meant a lot, um, I think, to cinema. Uh, we did a partial retrospective of his work last year where we paired Rivette's films with the films of David Lynch. That was great. Um, it was in conjunction with your great new book. <laughs> what's, the, what's, what's the name of your book again? Uh, it's called The Man from Another Place, a book about David Lynch. It's so great. Thank you. But in, uh, instead of doing a Lynch series, mm -hmm. um, we thought we would you know, do something a little more playful and, and put Lynch in conversation with Rivette because I've always thought of those two as filmmakers. Um, with certain kinships, um, slightly kind of like hidden kinships, mm -hmm. and try to bring them to light. So anyway, um, Rivette is somebody who you know my colleagues and I um, have have long admired. I think you know his um, his death this year was obviously um, a great a great loss. But it was um, very exciting to hear about these discoveries. Um, these three films, uh, very early films, all predating his first feature, uh, short to medium length, ranging from about 20 minutes to 40 minutes, um, that had really never been seen before, uh, or at least you know had, uh, had, had sorry had not been seen in many many years, uh, and even at the time I think they they probably showed to small groups of of, of friends uh, and, and filmmakers. Um, so we contacted uh, the Cinémathèque Française um, and, and Véronique Rivette, who we had worked with when we did the retrospective last year, um, and we're very proud um, and excited to be presenting the, the North American premiere of these films. One of the reasons I think he's uh, such an important filmmaker uh, to keep going back to, and we were talking about this briefly before, is you know, one gets the sense every once in a while that people feel like cinema's gotten stale. Uh, you go to you go to a film festival and say, oh, it's, this, it's the same stories, it's the same thing. We haven't seen something new. And whenever I, I, I see one of his films, I, I'm quickly reminded of how young film actually is and the possibilities. Uh, he's one of those masters that when he died, I don't feel like I had a full grasp. I feel like we're still going to be kind of trying to figure out what he's doing and the doors that he's opened. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you agree with that? Do you feel that way about his work? That yeah. It's, it's, yeah. He was really kind of opening new doors that we're still kind of figuring out. Absolutely, I think that's actually a very, very that's a very perceptive way to put it. I mean, Rivette is one of those filmmakers to me whose work seems inexhaustible. You know, I think which is what you're saying essentially. Um, there are sort of mysteries in the films that I don't think we can 
they never reveal themselves fully. And I think that that's, that's part of the magic and the beauty and, and the power of these films. Um, and I do very much agree with you that cinema is a, is a new medium, despite a young medium, despite relatively speaking, despite, you know, I think it's maybe more fashionable to talk about the death of things or the decline, um, you know, which is something that's, that that's, has been talked about for almost the entire lifespan of this, this medium. Um, but, you know, I think the great, the great filmmakers had a perspective on this. I'm actually just reading a book on Bresson now, Bresson, Robert Bresson Interviews, who was a filmmaker who was you know, very important to Rivette when he was starting out. And um, this is from the very last interview that Bresson gave in the 80s, um, where he talks about how he's hearing this exactly these kinds of comments from people about how, you know, cinema, you've done everything there is to do. And, and his response to that is like, the cinema is, is enormous, it's immense, and we haven't really done a thing with it yet. You know, and this is Bresson saying this at the very end of his life. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do feel that way with Rivette's uh, great films. You know, I think a film as Celine and Julie go boating, you can watch over and over again. It still somehow has a kind of really potent effect on you. It's almost like, a, you know, however well you know the film, it still seems uh, fundamentally mysterious. And what do you see when you... When you look at these shorts, I mean, he's obviously just starting off. Yeah. Some of them are, they're a, little, they're a little rough at times, but what do you see him working on and kind of playing with kind of in that sketch pad, early short yeah. way um, that, that, that kind of pays off later? Well, I think, yeah, I think that's exactly what these films are. I mean, he, you know, he and, and, and Veronique referred to them as, as practice films or apprenticeship films. Um, they were not definitely not fully formed, but I think you, what you see in these three films is a filmmaker really trying to, um, you know, really trying to figure out the language of cinema, which I think was something that was maybe even more urgent uh, for filmmakers who were starting out at the time in the in the you know in the first half of the twentieth century or even the mid twentieth century, when cinema really did seem like a young uh, medium, when there really was a necessity, I think, to distinguish cinema from literature from theater you know to, to really make the case that this was its own uh, form of expression with its own integrity and its own language um, and I think you see somebody really figuring out like the language of cinema in these films there's no you know these are films that are silent um, two of them have have some you know minimum fairly minimal like intertitles and there's no music either and I think it's 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 really to uh, there's you, you can see certain Rivettian things, I guess, you could, you, you could argue. I think there's the sense of um, the full picture of these films being somehow out of, out beyond your grasp um, is, is, is very Rivette. I think it's, it's very pronounced in that middle, uh, in the second film, uh, Le Cadre, which is all set entirely in one room, and it's just like, you know, a, a few men and women exchanging glances and smoking. Mm -hmm. um, and there's obviously... A, a mystery and a sort of humor that builds as the film progresses of like who are they where are they and, and what you know what what is being communicated with these glances and, and gestures because um, he's kind of inferring story it's like never a straight, yeah. there's always something I, I've never I, I read something that you wrote for the New York Times um, this morning uh, a few years ago about how with his stories you have to with his movies you, you're kind of put in a position that you have to find the story yeah it's not that they're bonkers it's not like there's crazy stuff going on but there's there's a little taste of stories and you're meant to interpret things so like with the smoking thing it, it he's calling attention to a woman crossing her legs or like right. a glance with a smoke mm -hmm. 
and you almost have to apply narrative meaning to that, and that's kind of the game. That's kind of he does yeah. it in a much more evocative way later in his career, but you Definitely. can kind of see him playing with yep. that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's very much what that film is about. I think just you know completing the narrative um, in the viewer's head. I think like that's you know he's his films are designed to kind of be completed by you, the viewer. You know, and I think you can see that even even in the very first film, which is a very amateur effort. But you know the the, and you can see the this uh, how the the characters are relating to each other, how they attract and repel one mm -hmm. another, and, and and the way they they move, um, and and so much of it is is dependent on action and movement. You know, I think I think there's a, um, they're they're definitely as you say sketch films, but I think there's something really very very charming uh, about them. And the other thing that seems to be uh, he seems to be laying his marker very early for us. He's going to take his time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, definitely. I mean, certainly not to the extent that he would do in you know an epic like Out One, the eleven-hour-plus film. But this is uh, these are even for short films, uh, fairly you know in leisurely in terms of taking their time. Um, I think they're about forty minutes. The long, the longer ones. Uh, the lineup is is stacked, and you know we've been writing a lot about um, a lot of the, the the main slate films, and you know we we checked out some of the convergence. What, what what amongst some of the other programs, kind of the lesser high-profile stuff, that are, are you excited for people to see over the next couple of weeks? Beyond retrospectives, like all well, no, including the retrospectives, the revivals, the the projections. You know, I mean, we, we've got the Tony sure. Erdmans and the Moonlights yes, covered. No, yeah, I think those are very well covered. <laughs> yeah. um, and those are also, I think, among some of the year's best films. So oh, we're absolutely. very excited about them. But um, yeah, I think I think the sheer range. You know, this is a festival that, for those of you who've you know been coming or been covering it for years, you, you know, this is bigger than it's been. We have you know more theaters, um, and I think that sort of increased the range of films they were able to show. Um, you know, I think we are, you know, getting closer to being more of a uh, kind of something for everyone festival, or at least mm -hmm. something that caters to many different tastes, while also uh, insisting on it being still within each section, very you know tightly curated. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited about uh, showing in the context of our um, retrospectives and revivals sections. We happen to have Bresson's first and last feature, um, Angels of Sin and Argent. Uh, so, would, you know, I think that's, that's you know, two bookends to an amazing career. Uh, you mentioned the projection section, which is our experimental uh, section, which has 11 programs of features and shorts. Um, there's a film in it called The Human Surge from Argentina um, by a young filmmaker named Eduardo Williams. It's his first feature, um, and I think that is some, that's one of the most exciting films I've seen this year. I think it's a film that, you know, to come back to what we were talking about earlier, really does suggest a uh, new, uh, new, a new way of uh, of of making films, a new uh, uh, a new kind of cinema, even. Um, and how, do, how do you? I'm sorry. How do you guys define projections now? Because it's not really avant-garde. It, yeah, it's kind of people pushing the language yeah, of cinema, th experimental. Yeah, I think that's that's. I think that's right. Um, we, it used to be called Views from the Avant-Garde, um, mm -hmm. and it was, you know, I think, an, a hugely important and influential program for, for many years. Um, and I think with the change in, in curators now, um, I'm one of the curators along with um, Eileen Nash, and uh, we, I think we deliberately avoided using the word avant-garde precisely because of certain historical connotations, and it does refer to a very particular tradition mm -hmm. of experimental film. Um, and we wanted to move to include that, to, to honor that tradition. Um, 
of more, you know, more abstract work, um, but also uh, include filmmakers who are thinking about just the language of cinema, and that could mean any, really any number of things. You know, we have um, we have films that are sort of on the edge of documentary, films that are on the edge of fiction, um, and I think they're just films that have very formal, uh, striking formal qualities, uh, you know, and, and that includes short work, medium length work, uh, and, and feature films. And I, I think that ties in with the Revit thing too, is that, is that I'm sorry, the Revit, is that, yeah. is that, that, that playing and that there's still so many different ways to go with this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sorry I interrupted you, you were about to recommend one, one other one. Was I? Um, or, I'm sure I could. Right. <laughs> well, you've seen them all, you've seen them all. Well, I think, that in, in, uh, to, to, you know, to tie it back to what we were talking about, we have a new section this year called Explorations, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's sort of like an extension of the main slate, really, these are feature films, some of them are by fairly well known or at least well-established filmmakers mm -hmm. um, but it's a section that we've um, you know where we've designated for what we think are the sort of more adventurous uh, films um, of the festival I mean f there are six films there are five of them are fiction films and one of them is sort of a documentary portrait of Jonas Mikas by mm -hmm. Douglas Gordon um, I think it's a really strong uh, section you know the Albert Serra film uh, the Death of Louis XIV with, with Jean Pierre I think it's just a magnificent, uh, really amazing um, film about death, about the representation of death, and it's like a, it's a really stunning showcase role for Leo, um, who is coming to the festival, which I think is, is going to be very exciting. That's awesome. Well, Dazzlin, thank you so much, and thank, uh, thank you also for this festival. We're really looking forward to it. Thanks, Chris. Good talking to you. The New York Film Festival, as it is every year, is absolutely stacked, and you really can't go wrong seeing uh, you know, anything in this deep roster of films. But there is one thing in particular that I want to highlight for filmmakers to check out. This is actually a film that's coming out this winter, so everybody can check out. And that's a great French filmmaker, Bertrand Tavernet's uh, three-hour documentary called My Journey Through French Cinema. If anybody's seen uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, My Journey Through American Cinema or the one he did about Italian cinema, it's in that vein. It's a very, it's a very personal um, journey through a select group of films and filmmakers um, and of, of from, from the perspective of a great filmmaker. Mr. Tavernay made some of the greatest films of the last uh, four decades. And, you know, it's just seeing clips from all these great French films in and of itself is just something that gets you all excited about film. But Mr. Tavernay either knew he was a or he was a collaborator, or for like the generation of filmmaker before him, like Jean Renoir, he intimately studied and talked to all their contemporaries and learned everything that there was about them. And so he's really a student of the medium and his understanding of the directors that he focuses on and by the way this isn't just some two-minute montage clip of like all the great Godard uh, films when he focuses on a filmmaker this is a deep dive and he really dissects how they work and his understanding of who they were as people his understanding of what happened behind the scenes from all the research that he has done but then his ability um, just to break down their work it, it's, it's, it's like a mini film school but it's like the best kind of film school because it also gets you so excited about the possibilities of cinema and what you can do. And so there really, you really can't, you can't go wrong uh, seeing this film. I talked to Mr. Tavernet today. I'm holding that interview for when um, the film comes out this winter. But I'm going to leave you with a little clip. Uh, this clip is um, 
him talking about actually talking about Martin Scorsese. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Martin Scorsese uh, grew up with asthma and in cinema played a unique role in his life as a kid growing up. And Mr. Tavernier grew up as a very sick child himself. And, um, you know, after World War II and being sick and the, the kind of very unique role that cinema played in his life in the sense that film is part of his biography and him being very inspired by uh, what Scorsese did in that, in that uh, leading to him taking this four-year journey of putting together this amazing film. Uh, anyways, I hope you have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. We've got amazing, amazing filmmakers lined up for October, November, December. I'm not going to spill the beans, but basically all the directors that you could possibly want to hear from, we've got, uh, we've got lined up for the coming months. So here's Mr. Tavernay, and uh, enjoy some movies this weekend. Uh, yes, maybe it's something I share with Marty. This is that uh, maybe cinema help us uh, to, f to have the courage to face the world. Because we were, uh, I was fragile. I was, uh, had the prom problems in the lungs. I, I could not run, I could not uh, uh, exercise. Uh, I was weak. Uh, I was badly fed during the, the occupation of my country. Um, the, uh, and maybe Martin Scorsese helped me to uh, by um, giving me the courage to speak about myself. Because when he spoke about his parents, I said, if he did it, I can do it. Because uh, the, the approach my film was different from his film about the American cinema, where, where he, he, he talks about the director for three minutes. I wanted, from the beginning, to... Uh, I did not know who would be the director who would pick up, but if I was picking up one, I would like to go deep in him mm -hmm. and to, in, uh, to at least spend 20, 25, um, and sometimes in the series, the mini-series which has to come, I think I, I have like 39 or 40 minutes on Julien Duvivier. Mm -hmm.